this evening, I am carrying on a series that I started, started way before the pandemic um, on the book of Esther. And today, we come to a part where Esther and her people are facing a crisis. And from the passage, uh, the few verses that we're going to look at tonight, um, I think we can learn from Esther how to um, cope and how to equip ourselves to face a crisis. And uh, I think over the last couple of years, I'm just wondering, am I squeaking? Is it, is it stopped? I keep hearing a, okay. I think that was my brother squeaking over there. Somewhere. Um, so, coping with the crisis over the past couple of years, uh, whether it be microphones or more serious things like coronavirus, as a world, we have had to cope with crises, and it's not just coronavirus, other things have come up. And then personally, all kinds of us have dealt with lots of different kinds of crises. And I think to learn to equip ourselves to face a crisis is a really valuable thing, because at some point in our lives, we will face uh, a crisis, if not multiple crises. And uh, so tonight, I wanted to look at the verses in Esther, in chapter 4, verses 15 to 17. But before I do that, to get you kind of up to speed with the drama, because Esther, the story of Esther is quite a drama, and if you don't know what's happened before, um, it can be quite random. And so I'm going to tell the story up till this point. The story of Esther is set in the capital of the Persian Empire, which is a vast empire, and it's set in the capital, which is Susa, and there is a king who is given to excesses. And he is also a king who tends to go along with whatever foolish scheme his advisors get him or suggest to him. And it's after one of these schemes that he makes Esther his queen. They suggest to him that he gathers all the pretty virgins from the entire empire and then kind of test them out to choose the one that he wants to make his queen. And he ends up choosing Esther. Esther is a young Jewess, and she's been brought up by her uncle, Mordecai. And uh, Mordecai says to her, keep it secret that you are a Jew. And so she is settling into life at the palace. She's separate from her people. She's keeping it a secret um, that she is a Jew, and she's settling into life at the palace. Meanwhile, Mordecai, her uncle, is a God-fearing guy. He's a guy that follows God, and he's unwilling to compromise on that. And this gets him into trouble, because one of the king's advisors, who's kind of like the baddie of the story, Haman, says that he wants everyone to bow down to him. And her uncle Mordecai says, no, I follow God, not you. I won't bow down to you. And this infuriates Haman to such an extent that he doesn't just get rid of Mordecai, but he gets the king to seal an edict to annihilate all of Mordecai's people, all of the Jews in the entire Persian Empire, which is also Esther, though he doesn't know that because she's keeping it secret. And uh, so when Mordecai finds out about this, he is distraught, understandably. And uh, before the pandemic, we looked at how he lamented, he was distraught, and how actually this is okay to do this. The Bible teaches us that lamenting is the right reaction when things are sad and bad and wrong, that we lament when these kind of things happen. And uh, in, when I spoke about a month or so ago, we looked at how Esther found out 
that he was lamenting, but she didn't know what it was about. And she kind of wanted him, sent him some nice clothes, sent, kind of trying to get him to quieten down. And they have this interaction. They can't speak directly, but they have a trusted advisor that goes between them. And Mordecai sought to inform Esther well with the facts, with the figures, so that she could go to the king. And he said to her, you've got to go plead for your people and for your life. You've got to go to the king and plead with him. And she said, but how could I? Everyone knows that there is a law that if I was to go to the king, if anyone was to go to the king without being called and he doesn't lift his scepter, they will be killed. And he hasn't called for me for 30 days. So I'm clearly not in his good books. So if I go, he could kill me. I can't go to the king. And then it was the, the, this line, which is probably the most well-known line in Esther. And Mordecai says to her, it might be that you were made queen for such a time as this. And he's saying to her, you've been given this position and every position comes with responsibility. Are you gonna take that on? Are you gonna do what this position is enabling you to do? And so today we're gonna look at Esther's reply to him. And this is what she said in Esther 4 verses 15 to 17. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa, the capital of the Persian Empire, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all Esther's instructions. Now, Esther could have been overwhelmed. It was quite a big deal. She could have thought, I'm going to bury my head in the sand. I can't deal with this. It's just too much. I, I can't face this. But actually, she has a very different reaction to that. She immediately sees that this isn't just her problem. She sees that she's in this together with her people. They're in this together, and she asks Mordecai to get their support, get them to support her in the only way that they really they can. They can't all come in to the palace with her. And so I think the overarching lesson from this um, passage and the way that Esther equipped herself to be able to face the crisis at hand was that she knew she didn't face things alone. And we don't face things alone. Sometimes it may seem like we do and sometimes we may choose to but we don't need to face things alone. And uh, the first thing that Esther, there's two things about Esther's identity that I want to look at today that both hinge on this, that she knew she didn't face things alone and so she was able to face this crisis. And the first thing is that we belong to a people. Esther knew that she belonged to a people. Now, we're in a very different place, and we can learn a lot from Esther's society. Our culture has become very individualistic. We measure success by our personal achievements. Parents are more and more isolated in their job of raising their kids. People are more and more isolated in their responsibilities to look after their old people. We're more and more isolated. We share a lot more on social media, but actually, we are far more isolated than previous generations, and a lot of people don't know who to share their problems with, partly because they don't want to look weak and they don't want to admit that they've got those problems because it's their thing, and partly because 
the uh, dominant idea in our society is, it's your problem, you need to sort that out. But actually, Esther society shows us a different way. There is a corporate responsibility, which I think on a large part we have lost here, but it's such a valuable thing. And that's not to say that we don't have individual responsibility, because each of those people, each of the Jews, had the responsibility to go and fast. Esther had the responsibility to go in and see the king. We do have individual responsibility, but we need to see it as part of a bigger thing. And I wonder how our society would look if we as Christians saw the problems that there are from this perspective, that it's not all to blame on certain individuals, but actually we have a corporate responsibility. I read a book this summer called Where the Crawdads Thing. And it's not a Christian book, it's a fictional story. Um, and it's about a little girl who basically ends up bringing herself up in a tumble-down shack in um, a swamp. Um, and she becomes somewhat of an outcast. The people um, in the local village don't see very much of her. And she prefers her own company and the company of the wildlife um, around where she lives. And at one point in the story, I don't want to give too much away, but at one point in the story, she gets accused of a crime. And she has to go to court, and she is standing there in court, accused of this crime before the jury, and it's not looking good for her. And then a man stands up to say something. And I want to read what this man said, because I think it's really pertinent to this idea that actually, as a society, we have a corporate responsibility. As a church, we have a corporate responsibility. We belong to a people, but we belong together because we take things together. We have a responsibility together. And I'm going to read what he said, and as I read through it, I'm going to put up some questions to reflect on as we go through it. So this man gets up and he addresses the jury. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I grew up in Berkeley Cove, and when I was a younger man, I heard the tall tales about the Marsh Girl. Yes, let's just get it out in the open. We called her the Marsh Girl. Many still call her that. Some people whispered that she was part wolf or the missing link between ape and man, that her eyes glowed in the dark. Yet, in reality, she was only an abandoned child, a little girl surviving on her own in a swamp, hungry and cold, but we didn't help her except for one of her only friends, Jumpin. Not one of our churches or community groups offered her food or clothes. That's the first question I want us to reflect on. Who have we failed to help? Who have we ignored? Who have we overlooked? And he carries on. Instead, we labeled her. Who might we have labeled? Who do we call by a certain name rather than their actual name? Who do we call by a general term? And then he carries on. And we rejected her because we thought that she was different. So who have we rejected? Who have we labeled as being different from us so actually we don't need to engage? They're different. They've got it wrong. So actually we don't need to help them. They're different. They're doing it in a different way and we've got nothing to do with them, it's easier not to relate with them because they do things differently and they, they wouldn't be comfortable with us anyhow. Who have we rejected? And then he carries on again. But ladies and gentlemen, did we exclude Miss Clark because she was different? Or was she different 
because we excluded her. If we had taken her in as one of our own, I think that is what she would be today. If we had fed, clothed, and loved her, invited her into our churches and homes, we wouldn't be prejudiced against her. And I believe she would not be sitting here today accused of a crime. With whom, the last question, have we allowed prejudice to eclipse love? Who have we said, well, I'm not going to love them because, you know, well, there's limits to it because they've done this and they're like that. I think that line, I believe she would not be sitting here today accused of a crime if they had loved her, if they had invited her in. And it's this idea of a corporate responsibility that actually, yes, she's there accused of a crime, but was it all her fault? Or were they, as a town, partly responsible because of the way that they had treated her? Rather than placing all the responsibility on individuals, what if our society did things differently? What if instead, us as a people, instead of placing all the responsibility for, our, for their marriages, for children, for the elderly, for their sexual choices, what if instead we saw it as our collective responsibility to show love and care towards people so that the burdens were spread, so that they didn't need to go searching for love somewhere that's actually quite damaging for them, because that need had already been filled by us, even if it's not comfortable. And it isn't an easy ask. The Jews were asked to fast from water and food for three days and night. It was a big sacrifice, and this is a big sacrifice, to open our doors, to share our resources, and to be there for people outside of our own nuclear families and our close friends. It's a big ask. But are we a people that work together? Do we have a collective responsibility? And I think if we did, we would be slower to condemn people and quicker to repent and acknowledge where we've fallen short, where we've allowed ourselves to be selfish, where we've maybe let people down because we haven't loved them well. And I think it could be such, um, it could be such a wonderful way of living if we could fully live into that. And I think so many people here have shown that towards me and love me in that way, but what if we were to grow in that? to love people in a way that helps them grow rather than pushes them to go looking for love in damaging ways. We don't have to face things alone. We belong to a people. But you might say, how? How can I do that? I don't feel like I belong to a people. And I think there's a few things we can learn from Esther as to how we can start to feel like we belong. And the first question to ask ourselves, who do we need to ask for support from. It's not always an easy thing to do, but it is part of the deal. Esther asked for support. The third poem, um, third verse of the poem that we've been looking at says this. Third, to, to be fully alive, let your love travel beyond all bounds. Let the curtains tear before it so that nothing is left unadorned, including the brokenness of you, of us all. Every soul walks with a limp, and not one is unworthy of compassion's embrace. Talks of how each one of us, whatever our state, we need help. 
We need love and support. Are we willing to ask for that? But actually, I think belonging to a people, it is about being willing to ask for support, but I think it's almost as much, if not more, about what we put in and what we ask for. Every soul walks with a limp, and not one is unworthy of compassion's embrace. Who are we showing compassion to? And so that's the second question. Who could we offer support to? In the Bible it says, uh, where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. Where are we investing our time, our emotion, our resources? Those will be the people that we feel like we belong to. They'll be the people that we love. Are we, who can we offer support to? And uh, we are part of a people here in Sutton. Like Esther was in Susa, and she asked them to support her. But her decision to go see the king would actually affect her people far further afield. She was part of a people through the whole Persian empire that was gonna be affected by this. And actually, although we are part of a people here, we're also part of a global people. We are part of God's people around the world. And so how can we offer support to people around the world, to our people? Uh, especially those who are particularly isolated, who can't meet like we do here. And uh, I needed to let you know anyhow, and I thought this fitted perfectly, that for our Christmas offering, uh, we are giving our Christmas offering. You can um, do it online. You can bring it in on Christmas Day. We are supporting the work of Open Doors. It's this idea of coming together as God's people and supporting each other. We are part of a people and we take on the burdens together. And I wanna show you a video about one of these people um, that would be supported um, by what we're uh, doing with the Christmas offering. My name is Celeste Momoy. I'm from Plateau State, Nigeria. I am 13 years old. She was Simba when she was. Time the Yaris. So soon I'm a Ghana. Rana de Megida Nari Yaris, 2011. Rana Ladi Yarigayakirani, why I wish she's the Jekaswa. Nagida Mutua. Semunju and Farah Harbi. When Gushiba, when you call me back, let's say, Ah, one of them be down by Lafia, Nadishu. Gesture now go the map one of Punja open doors. Snat became the seller. Nazoas a chain, the Kudima Karanta. Handman chain now go the Masuba. I love my school because my teachers teach me very well and they help me become what I want to be in future. My favorite subject is mathematics because I love calculating. One day, I want to be a doctor in a group of people. I want to save lives and help people. In the Abadong, I want to be a doctor in a group of people. 
da ban san an da zan karasa ba da ban san da zan fara ba yaron ku fa yayin ku kurwan kira ku gashi sai cewa da gaskiya mun gode Merry Christmas to everybody. Thank you for supporting me. Thank you for the Christmas gift. God bless you. the QR code there, you can go online, you can get an envelope, you can bring it in person on Christmas Day or beforehand. Um, and uh, how can we offer support to each other here in Sutton? Do we need to put a reminder in our phone to get in touch with someone we've been meaning to, someone who we said we'd do something but we'd forgotten? And how can we support people further afield, like the lad that we just saw there? And then lastly, we belong to a people. Are we investing in faithfully being part of God's people? Are we meeting with people during the week and getting to know them better? Are we serving with other people? That's a brilliant way of getting to know people, of investing in each other's lives. Are we coming on a Sunday, even when we don't feel like it? Because we're a part of this people. We go home every night regardless. Do we come here every Sunday regardless? Because this is our family. Do we hang around afterwards and try and chat to people to get to know them better? Or go out for a drink with them? Or, or, or ask people if they want to meet a bit early to have a drink? Do we meet and message people during the week? Do we feel like we don't know enough people? Do we maybe, could we maybe go to living the life on a Wednesday night or Alpha and get to know a few more people? Are we investing in faithfully being a part of God's people? We're not gonna suddenly feel like we belong. It takes faithfully doing those first two things and faithfully being with people when we feel like it, when we don't feel like it, when it feels hard, when it feels easy. And over time, we'll start to feel like we belong. We can all belong to a people, but it is a choice. And uh, you can see the picture of the coals on the bottom there. And if you imagine, each one of us is a coal. We're not made like a coal. If it's out there on its own, you've got all the coals here, and the coals out here on its own, this one will go out much quicker. It'll go cold much quicker. And in the same way, if we try and do things on our own, there's always the temptation um, to be out on our own. I know when I was isolating, because I had coronavirus, and uh, I thought, actually, this is really easy. I don't have to interact with anyone. How easy, like, there's no, I, I was in my room, so I didn't even have to interact with my kids at the time. And I think, oh, it's so easy. And that's, there's always that temptation to think, but it's easier if I just stay at home but that isn't what we're made for. After a while, if we sit off on our own, we'll go out. We become the center of everything. If we sit on our own, we become obsessed with ourselves, and we think it's easier, we think it's better, 
but actually it's not what we're made for, and we end up damaging ourselves. We end up going out, we end up losing life. Actually, when we gather together, we stay alight, we help each other to stay alight, we stay warm, and uh, we can actually warm each other. It's what we were made for. And if you're someone that likes to have something concrete that you can do after a sermon, if you want a little thing to say, okay, how can I invest so that I can encourage the other people, so that I can show that I'm a part of this people, could you send a Christmas greeting? Now, I know that we're all saturated. We've all, over the last two years, we've done more videos, more happy birthday videos, more videos for church than we've ever done previously in our lives. No one wants to do another video in their lives. But being on the other side of it um, and getting the feedback from when you guys do do videos, people love seeing your face. They much prefer and are far more encouraged by seeing your faces than they are my face or Donald's face or Kath's face. No offense, Donald. Um, but they are. They love seeing your faces, and they love seeing faces that they know and that they see every week. They love seeing faces that they haven't seen in a while, and they love seeing faces that they've never seen before. They find that encouraging as well. Who's that person? Who's that new person? Lovely greeting. Could you send in a Christmas greeting? We're not having the communal cards um, out there this year to try and avoid passing cards around and touching all each other's cards. Um, but we are doing this. Let's make it so that Donald struggles to fit it in on Christmas Day. Send in as many greetings, maybe a photo of you saying something, uh, holding up with something written, or just a photo of yourself and put it in the text and can write it on the slide, or just a short video, Happy Christmas, Sutton Baptist, whatever it might be, send them in um, to livestream at scbc.org.uk or to Donald or to me or to Kath, um, wherever you can send it in, it'll get there. Um, do send in your Christmas greetings. We're part of a people. Let's encourage each other. Let's show that even though we don't feel like making a video, we've done one because we want to wish each other happy Christmas, because we wish each other well, because we belong to each other. In Hebrews, it says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We don't face things alone. We are part and belong to a people. And in 1 Peter it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. We're not alone. And this verse highlights another aspect of Esther's identity, which also helps us to see that we don't ever have to face things alone, and which gives us, as a people, a purpose and an identity. The coals, even together, would eventually go out if they didn't have oxygen being pumped in, if they didn't have someone placing new coals on as others burnt out. And this verse brings us nicely on to this other aspect of Esther's identity and sense of belonging. We are God's people. We belong to a God. We belong to a people, we belong to a God. When Esther calls her people to fast, she's acknowledging that she belongs to a people, but she's also acknowledging that they are God's people and that they need him to care for them. They can't do this on their own. Whilst God's never mentioned in the book of Esther, 
And uh, there's only two books in the Bible that never mention God, and there's something for you to find out which one the other one is. But it's never mentioned in the book of Esther, but this is a very obvious hint at the Jews' dependence on God. Fasting's often mentioned in the Old Testament, and for the Jews, it had obvious implications. And just to explain that, I've got a quote from Richard Foster who explains why fasting was such a pointer towards God. Throughout scripture, fasting refers to abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. It stands in distinction to the hunger strike, the purpose of which is to gain political power or attract attention to a good cause. It's also distinct from health dieting, which stresses abstinence from food for physical, not spiritual purposes. Because of the secularization of modern society, fasting, if it's done at all, is usually motivated either by vanity or by the desire for power. That's not to say that these forms of fasting are wrong necessarily, but their objective is different from the fasting described in scripture and this one that Esther was referring to. Biblical fasting always centers on spiritual purposes. By calling her people to support her by fasting, she's acknowledging that they can't do this on their own. They need God's help. The coals gathered in prayer to ask God to keep pumping in oxygen and adding new coals to keep the fire alight. Esther's people couldn't all go into the palace with her to see the king. And similarly, we can't all go with each other when we go to work or when we're speaking to our neighbor or when we're disciplining our kids or when we're looking after uh, an elderly relative or when we're socializing with friends. But we can support each other beforehand by gathering physically, as Esther did with her attendants, but also by showing solidarity, by coming together in a spiritual sense before God and asking him to work in the situations that we find ourselves in. Helping practically is really important, and Jesus taught us to help practically. But lots of people choose to help like that. One of the distinctives that we hold as God's people is that we use the blessings that we receive to bless other people. And one of those blessings is that we have God with us. And so we ask him to be with those people that we seek to support. Esther was able to face up to the crisis before her and make a courageous move because she knew that she was not facing it alone. She had God's people and God himself facing the crisis with her. We don't face things alone. We belong to a people. We belong to a God. And we can all say that if we want to. We don't have to face things alone. We can choose to belong to a people and to a God. And that verse that we looked at earlier about not giving up meeting together, the verses before that say this, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. We draw close to each other, but what draws us together is that we all draw near to God. He's the center, he is the purpose. If we all draw near to the same thing, we're gonna draw near to each other. Let us draw near to God. And the God 
that we belong to knows what it is to go through a crisis. At the cross, he went through history's biggest crisis. He knows what it is to go through a crisis. Who do we need to ask for support from to show that we belong to a people? Who do we need to give support to, whether that be here in Sutton, whether it be further afield? Who is God prompting us to support? And who can we be joining with as part of God's people so that we know people well enough to both ask for and offer support to them? Who could we intentionally be meeting with so that we don't go out as that lone coal? And lastly, I wonder what situations and people we need to place before God, acknowledging that without his help, we can't overcome this crisis. Without the oxygen that he provides, we will offer no warmth to the people around us. Do we live in a way that shows that we're not alone by asking for support, by offering support and supporting others, and by asking God for help? The last verse of the poem that we've been working through gives us one final hint to being fully alive. And finally, remember, remember your divine heritage. Remember the holy sacrament poured out for you in the form of a gentle man's blood. Remember that the cold shackles of death could not hold him, could not stop him from coming back for you. We're gonna spend a few moments now remembering as we share communion together, what Jesus did for us on the cross. And it means that we can say that we don't face things alone because we belong to a people that have been saved by him and we belong to a God who saved us on the cross. First, open your arms to your own humanity. Give the gorgeous mess of your entirety a warm welcome, remembering that all of you is loved, free from limit or condition. Second, drop your heart into a pool of wonder, that sacred healing water found among the stillness, among the trees and the birds, and the streams and the hills, and the opulence of an unfiltered sky. Do not let the screams hem you in. Seek instead the heaven wrought, the spirit woven, all that brightly sings of the abundance. Third, let your love travel beyond all bounds. Let the curtains tear before it so that nothing is left unadorned, including the brokenness of you, of us all. Every soul walks with a limp, and not one is unworthy of compassion's embrace. And finally, remember. Remember your divine heritage. Remember the holy sacrament poured out for you in the form of a gentle man's blood. Remember that the cold shackles of death could not hold him, could not stop him from coming back for you. 
We belong to a people. We belong to this God that we remember. Freely he gave it all for us. Surrendered his life upon that cross. Great is the love poured out for all. This is our God. Your grace is enough.